So we've mentioned November, we've mentioned Christmas and December, but I need to kind of pull us back now. Today uh, is Reformation Day, as Josh said earlier. Uh, Halloween is tomorrow, and uh, Beggar's Night is tonight. And so to kind of get us in the mood for all that, for our sermon this morning, I'm going to play an audio clip. It's a little spooky, okay, but just, just hang with me, I'll explain, but this is an audio clip um, from a radio show, I'll explain a little more, but here's, here's our audio clip. <laughs> Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? <laughs> That was a introduction to a radio clip. Did anyone remember the shadow? Anyone remember that? Yeah? So this, this began in 1930 with CBS's Detective Story Hour, and then kind of by 1932 became its own thing. And then in 1937, Orson Welles started being the voice of that kind of introduction character. As I was reading my, my text, we are uh, going through Genesis, the church. We're actually coming close to the end of our, our sermon series on Genesis 1 through 11 here. I, I was really drawn to that line in that audio, what evil lurks in the hearts of men. I don't think I need to really convince you that there is evil, that evil exists, right? And we can look at history, you know, these grand history narratives that we have of Hitler and Nazis and torture and killing of Jews. That is evil, concentration camps. Joseph Stalin killing people with planned famines. Pol Pot orchestrating genocide. Idi Amin, known as the Butcher of Uganda. I mean, these are evil people and historical events that actually happened. Or we can think about evil um, systems, kind of systematic evil, whether it be injustice or racism. Or maybe you've experienced in a very personal way. You've experienced seeing evil face-to-face, whether it's the death of a loved one or, you know, a broken relationship or being hurt by someone so close to you in such a hard, difficult, evil way, or maybe a family member or relative being murdered or something. We all have these stories, these, these little glimpses of how we have seen evil in our own personal lives, and I think we could probably all relate to this line what evil lurks in the hearts of men for us personally. That if we look kind of deep into our own hearts, our thoughts, that we're, we're not always good as Christians or perfect. We have um, selfishness and pride and lust and all these things in our thoughts and in our hearts. And as we're going to look in the, the Word of God in the book of Genesis... We're going to come across these, these words, evil, corruption, 
violence, wickedness. These are actions from, um, from, from, from men, from women, from uh, in, in their hearts. It's going to talk about infecting the whole earth. And the question that we, we probably all still struggle with is, why? why? Why is there evil still today? Why do we see it in history? Why do we still experience it face to face? face and what what is the answer is there an answer out there god if you are good and you are powerful why do we still see evil today if it's way back in the bible it was world war ii or whatever why do we still have it if you are good are you even still there and so i think this morning we'll find some of those answers we're we're going to see this that god is here he is sovereign, he is good, and still has a plan. I'm going to invite up uh, Karen Kofed. Karen's going to read um, part of our passage this morning. It's Genesis 6, 1 through 8. So you can turn there with me, and your, your Bibles are on the screens. Let's, let's pray actually this morning before we hear from God's Word. God, as we come to uh, hear... Uh, the, the, the true story of your heart when it hears and sees evil and how you respond. Um, help us to respond is it the same or, or to be grieved over evil and sin in this world and to look to you for answers. Father, teach us this morning to see Jesus, especially in this text. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 6, 1 through 8. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, they were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Karen. So chapter 6, we're at this morning, uh, begins with this, this multiplying of, of sins. So here's what we're going to see first, if you're taking notes. Uh, as, as man multiplies, so does immorality. Now, ladies, if you're out there, you're listening, uh, this is like capital M, man, all of humanity. It's not just the men that are sinning, but all men and women. But we see in Genesis, the very beginning, that when God creates humans, he gives them these commands. The first command that he gave was in Genesis 1.28. He, he made them and he says, 
Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Even have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds, the heavens, every living thing that moves on the earth. And that's what happens. Uh, people made more people and multiplied. They're like rabbits. They just kept making more people. But unfortunately, God gave another command that didn't go so well. He told the very first humans, Adam and Eve, to not eat of this one tree, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And they disobeyed. They ate of the tree. They sinned. They, they missed the, the mark of what God's command was. And so then this, this sin, this disobedience to God started to multiply also. Their, their kids even um, kill each other. Cain kills his brother and hides the body. And then we saw last week, it kind of gets worse and worse. There's polygamy and marriages and this kind of godless culture and death. And then we see in chapter 6 that this multiplying of people and multiplying of immorality, it's, it's tied into some sort of sexual immorality. I will often take um, commentaries or different things that pastors have written to kind of read about a text as I'm preparing. And every single one of them this last week said, these are some of the most difficult passages to understand in Genesis. Great, thank you, commentaries. But you find these interesting words in here like the sons of God and the Nephilim, or even as we'll get into later, that God feels sorry and regret. And what are all these things? What do they mean? Well, let's start with this idea of kind of the sons of God and the Nephilim. Who are these people? I mean, what are these? Uh, I'm asking you, like, what are they? I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of different ideas out there. I'll kind of give you my idea, but some people think that these sons of God, these, these Nephilim are angels. Um, demons, really, kind of fallen angels. That word Nephilim is just, it's a Hebrew word, actually, kind of, that's what it sounds like in Hebrew. It really literally means the fallen ones. And so there's some sort of demon-human marriage going on, maybe. Um, one idea is that these are very strong um, men, um, giants in some way. Um, another theory is that they are from the line of, of Cain, the, this murderous man who went away from the Lord. Um, so those kind of people. Um, another one said that these are men who are being used by demons, possessed by, by demons in some way. We kind of see that a lot in the New Testament of Jesus expelling um, demons from people. That's actually the one that I, I think maybe fits the best here, that this is some sort of demonic possession of people and trying to um, infiltrate and trying to mess up God's good plan of, of marriage and life and Whoever these things are, wherever you kind of fall on that, the big problem seems to be in their marriage twisting and sexual immorality, their practice of these things. They're, they're, they're lusting after these daughters of men, taking any that they want. Even this phrase, they, they came into the daughters of men, is, is very crass in Hebrew. And I wanted to start there and mention that because this is a theme that then keeps on 
expanding and going on in the Bible, this idea of be careful of sexual immorality. Uh, another book that was written similar this time period, the book of Job, a, a righteous man, he talks about, you know, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. Jesus even talks about just kind of putting up um, boundaries or roadblocks to your eyes and your thoughts. He says in Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say that if everyone who looks at a woman or man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with them in their heart. Or we're just encouraged, especially from Paul throughout New Testament to you know, Romans 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, but to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians 5 talk about flee from sexuality, not, not even a hint of it in your own life, which is, which is crazy talk and hard in our own culture, right? I mean, I'll, I'll get on to Facebook or Facebook Reels or YouTube, and you just kind of flip through things, and things just come at you sometimes. And there is danger in that, that as our world continues to increase with technology and all kinds of things, immorality, sexual morality increases. And so if you find yourself in the midst of the temptation, the throes of that, find help. Go to Jesus. And we do get this hint here also that God is still um, watching in control. He's still sovereign. Uh, verse 3, he says that um, I will put a stop to this in some way. My spirit shall not abide in them forever. So he says, uh, I'll cut them off at 120 years. There's still some boundary here that he's setting over evil. But not only does God kind of put this boundary on evil increasing, he tells us, how it affects him. Does God care? I mean, even today, is he just up there watching, you know, ambivalent to the horrors of evil today? I mean, no, no, we see here his heart. We see that God is actually, he's grieved by great evil. We saw this in chapter 1 where God is creating the world. He's um, speaking things into existence, light and planets and people. And then he says, uh, he says something. He says that it is good. He's, he's speaking. He's seeing. And so something similar happens here where he, he sees the wickedness and then speaks about it. There's this... Um, contrasting of how terrible it has become now from how good it was. And God saw the, the wickedness was great. Every intention of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. This word evil and wickedness is the same word in, in, in Hebrew. It's this kind of misery, distress, bad, not good, injury happening. And this, this kind of complex phrase, every intention of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. We, we may feel like things are bad today, right? There's bad stuff in the world, but, but this is 
worse. I mean, it's not just some thoughts. It is every thought. It's not just most intentions. It's, it is every intention. It's not just some good out there and some bad, but it's only evil all the time. It's not just every once in a while, but it's continually wickedness and evil. It's as if uh, you're, you're living in Las Vegas. It's run by Nazis. There's murderous gangs all over. You can only eat lima beans, and the only movie on TV is like the newest Cats movie being run over and over again. Just evil and wickedness, right? And God says, as he looks out and sees this wickedness, that he regretted that he made humanity. It grieved him to his heart. He says, I, I'm sorry that I have made them. These are strong phrases. They're, they're phrases that we can all understand. We, we've all been there. We've all experienced that. We've all had regret in our life. We've all had things that just broke our heart and were sad and loss of a loved one and we grieved or, or we've been sorry over something that we did. But, but this, is, this is God. Um, how can he be sorry and, and grieved? I think, I think God, as he's inspiring Moses to write this, he's, he's using these, these human emotions and ex experiences to, to help us best understand how God is, is emoting and, and feeling. It's this anthropomorphizing giving kind of this human characteristics to God that he's sorry and grieved and, and regrets. But, but the point is this, that he is deeply affected by this. I mean, just to think about our loving God being grieved, regretting. That should affect us to think about that, that God is so grieved over evil and sin. And then to think about for ourselves, does, does wickedness today and evil, does it affect me like that? We talk about kind of being desensitized through movies and TV shows and video games to violence and all that, and it's probably true. I mean, but, but if you were to experience it and see it face-to-face, -face, evil or disease or famine or all that, would, would you have that same, oh, it grieves me, I'm so torn up by it. And God states here that he has a plan. I will blot them out. I will blot out the evil. We've seen from the goodness that everything was made that then all of a sudden pain came in the world from sin. Pain in childbirth and relationships pain in, in work, and now we find pain in God's own heart. And to solve this, this pain, God has this plan to blot out wickedness and evil. But there is this glimmer of hope in this story, right? We find that, number three, one man, one person finds favor for his faith. We're told, verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is such a common little phrase, but, but this, 
oftentimes it's kind of, but God did this, or but God had grace and compassion. All throughout the Bible, you find that. You find that there's evil and wickedness and it's growing and there's sin, but God had compassion or found somebody to bless. He chose Noah. He, he favored him. He, he looks to him and says, I'm going to be gracious to this person for this reason. It reminds me almost of, of, of Mary when she is told that she will um, be the mother of Jesus. She's told by the angel, uh, comes to her, and the angel Gabriel says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she's kind of confused, afraid, and the angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Not because she was anything important or smart enough, good enough, no, but because God just chose her. And it's the same with Noah. Noah, I think, is what we call kind of a, a, a type uh, for, for Jesus. It points us to Jesus. That in the midst of everything around us that we see is not good and evil and wicked and bad, we have God finding favor with one to save others. This happens with Abraham later on in Genesis, that uh, God just shows up and says, I'm going to bless you to bless others. Or Moses, I'm going to bless you that you might save others. Or the nation of Israel, like I'm, going to, I'm going to care for you and bless you that you might save others. Same thing with Jesus. Christ means that, that chosen one, favored one. He's the one that God favors, blesses to save others. And we learn that in verse 9 that he is, he is different. He's different from the rest of the people around him, right? He's, he's righteous, like he's a good guy. He's blameless compared to everybody else in his generation. Uh, he walks with God. All these things are good things we should look at for our own life and say, am, am I blameless? Am I righteous? Do I walk with God? I, I mentioned this last week, if you missed it last week, that there was one guy, this kind of genealogy of, 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 um, of Seth's line, Enoch, who walked with God. And this idea comes up over and over again in the Bible of walking with God. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'll just mention one. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. This idea of kind of walking alongside, walking with God, doing things with God. You're going to find as we kind of study this whole passage of Noah and this thing he's going to build, that he's, he just doesn't say a lot until the end. He just slowly walks and obeys and goes with God. And we're then even told a little bit more about Noah and who he was in the New Testament and this is the most important part, I think, about Noah. In Hebrews eleven seven. it talks about, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is just a really important point to kind of just, you know, focus on a little bit is that it's not by God saying, oh, look, there's a good person 
Um, he's good and so I'll bless him, but it's by his faith, his belief in God, his trusting in God that then produced that goodness that God blessed him with, that he then was righteous from God's righteousness from his own faith. But let's read on and see what happens in this story of God's grace on one and heart grieved with evil. Verse 11 Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So God now speaks to Noah, and he says more about kind of this, this evil and wickedness. He uses these terms uh, corrupt and corruption. is this kind of perversion morally that's going on or, or violence that is done there, this wrong, bloody violence. And it's, it's almost saying here, too, that it's, it's, it's affected more than just the people. It's the earth itself. The earth was corrupt. The earth was filled with violence. It's not just the human beings, but everything then begins to be affected, infected with sin and immorality and violence. Uh, there's this phrase in, in nature of red and tooth and claw that in nature it can be bloody and harsh. There's disease and famine and natural disasters. There's animals killing other animals. Nature can be harsh. We're told that in Romans chapter 8, that even the creation itself, everything that you see, even, even the mountains and the glory of the, the, the heavens, like the things that seem beautiful, all those things, it says that creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility. Not only, but because of him who who subjected it, God, to this, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Even the earth itself one day will be redeemed, made better, new by God, and even for us, obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This is Romans 8, verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So God is determined in this story to destroy corruption. He, he says that, he mentions that. And we've we have these passages in, in Revelation, in the Bible, that talk about that one day, one day I will end all of that. But we still have to say that today we see that here. We see that there is evil and wickedness and corruption and violence, and it still pains God's heart. And, and we know this from our, our justice system, that when somebody commits a crime, they should be, must be,
punished. If you've experienced that personally in a family member, that something was done to them, something violent or terrible was stolen from them maybe, that you want justice for them. You want that to be punished, to be made right. And so that is what God is doing with his intention here. Even though we, we kind of always go to grace and say, God, just, just look over that. Be kind and gracious. You know, they're not that bad. It's not that too terrible. It's not that evil. Just, just kind of get them on to heaven, okay? But if we truly understand the, the corruptness of how evil and bad sin is, how much it affects God in his heart, his being, and his own goodness and rightness to then make it right, this idea of him even, even judging people today to hell should make us afraid, but also, I think, give glory to him that he is still just. Because evil will always keep growing. It'll always keep going. It, if allowed to keep on, it will always keep on. So it must be punished. It must be done away with. And that's what hell and punishment is all about. And so if you are out there this morning, if you don't know Jesus, if you're kind of flirting with this idea of Christianity and kind of what this all means, this is the, the, the gospel message, the idea that God does not like sin and evil and, and imperfection. Every single one of us out here can say, yep, I'm part of that same boat. I have lustful, selfish, evil thoughts sometimes, things I do even, and the only hope you will find is in God. So look with me at verse 14 for how God takes care of this problem of evil with Noah. Verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. That is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it cubit above the door of it at its side make it with lower second and third decks for behold i will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh and which is the breath of life under heaven everything that is on the earth shall die but i will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark you your sons your wife and your sons wives with you and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. The last thing we'll see today is that God gives grace for salvation. God says to Noah to build an ark. Now, we often think about an ark as a boat, right? But uh, really the word is just kind of a, a box or a container of safety. Uh, this word comes up again in the story of Moses when he's supposed to be killed as a baby. His mom makes a little basket. It's called an ark uh, to save him as he floats down the river. Or later on, when Moses is grown, God says to him to build an ark of the covenant to carry 
things in it that are sacred and remind them of what God has done. It's kind of this, this box, this reminder of safety and salvation that God says, I want you to build this gigantic structure. I mean, it's, it's literally a football field and a half long, um, about four stories high, a little taller. You, your, your family, build this. And then this, you know, miracle that we always love to tell our kids and think about of these animals coming in two by two. And we'll, we'll look more at that next week, too, as the animals all come into the ark to be this, this box of safety, this, this thing that will float on the water as a giant flood that comes in to destroy everything. Now, as I said, like we tell this story with our kids and it's one of those stories that, uh, you know, Noah's Ark and down the lion's den that are easy stories to tell and be brave and strong and the flood. But as you get a little bit older, sometimes these stories, you look back and like, wow, this is a little bit different than I thought as a kid. This is a story of wickedness and death of the flood. And then even like this question of, did this really happen? I mean, this seems pretty out there, right? This, this is kind of the first huge miracle besides God making everything that we see in Genesis of animals, a family, on a boat, water covering all the face of the earth. Next week, we'll, we'll get into more exactly of what that may have looked like, but here we're just told to believe and to trust and say, God, you told this. Jesus talked about this. We trust in Jesus, and so this must be true. And so for all the miraculous and the, uh, the spectacle of what this is, God gives this grace. He says, I will save you. I will establish a covenant. Noah obeyed. And the deep application of all of this is that none of us is Noah in this story. None of us are good enough, righteous enough, blameless enough, have enough faith to be the one that God chooses. We're all the ones that are left out. And it's only by God's grace of his sending Jesus to make a plan to free us from evil in this world and in the next. It's only through that way that he provides salvation. So if you are still here today and you're like, I want to see goodness, I want to see evil stopped, look to Jesus. Because he is the only one that can and will one day stop all evil to save and to deliver. And this morning, we're to sing about that to kind of close us up. It's this song about how marvelous and great and wonderful God is to send Jesus. In fact, I want you to do this. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. We'll, we'll take our offering at the end here to kind of as a response back to God of his grace and sing this last song. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you that um, 
your grace is good and sufficient and sovereign in our own life as we see sin in our own hearts and our families and our neighborhoods and you've provided a way for us in Jesus and God I, I just I feel the heaviness of this topic this morning of evil and corruption and I want it to be done now to be stopped but in your good plan God you have given us time that some might come to know you and so God we pray now we, we put our trust in you Jesus alone that you would stop the evil in our hearts, that you would forgive us of our sin, and you would bring us on to the next life, eternal life, heaven with you. And for those here this morning that have not put their trust in you, that you would save, you would um, help them to repent of their sins and come to you. God, we just, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.